How many of you are here for the seminar this weekend? Good. Awesome, awesome stuff, man. I'm telling you, if you were here, then you already have fallen in love with Pastor Bob McGregor. He and his wife Sue are with us. Um, Pastor Bob is uh, a, an amazing friend of the house, as well as being the vice chairman of MFI, which our church is connected with uh, relationally. He he uh, he oversees so many missions things around the world. Uh, he sent us to Zimbabwe for about three uh, three trips in a row to establish some amazing things there. We we're, we're blessed to have him in the house. Bob, Pastor Bob and Sue both operate uh, apostolically, you know, and, and when I say that, because there might be some people here like not really familiar with that term, uh, the simplest way for me to to explain it is that there's a time and a grace on a on a uh, on a gift. Uh, that, that, that pastoral gift kind of raises up and has vision, not just for their own local church, but for the, the church at large. And there's a grace and a gift there. We love that about Pastor Bob. He's, a, he's got a father's heart. Also, they operate, uh, with a, with a really prophetic grace on their life. We, in our church, we believe the gifts of the Spirit are active, that Jesus still stands up in people and speaks to other people and encourages you, uh, edifies you, builds you up. But I want you to, uh, and, and here's what we're going to do. Pastor Bob and Sue, would you just come up to the platform right now? Are you both coming right now or later? Okay, come on up. Here's what I want you to put in, 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 your, in your thinking. We're not sure what's going to happen at the end of the service. We have prayer teams that will come up. We really believe in, in laying hands on people. We're seeing healing. We're seeing miracles. We're seeing addictions being broken, all kinds of stuff. So we don't want to interrupt that with a very important message and opportunity, and that's for you to be able to sow into their ministry. So we're going to have actually an open Bible here on the, on the platform at the end of the service, no matter what's happening. We want you to come and just sow into their ministry, be generous, bring an offering, and just bless them with a house of the Lord blessing. Amen. So can we give, or you can also, uh, you can text an amount and the word healing to 84321, okay? Would you just put your hands together and give a house of the Lord welcome to Pastor Bob and Sue McGregor? Come on. Come on, all stand up. This is good. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you guys with, with um, just the, the joy that it is to hang out with some friends. These guys are fun. They like to have fun. They like to eat good. We've had eat a lots of goodies. And uh, thank you to Joel. I mentioned that first service, but the best chili I've ever had. And uh-oh. Uh-oh. I just wanted to see if he was listening, but he is. And honestly, we had some, we've had some great times to just hang out and meet their dogs. That was fun, too. But God is really... In, um, in the midst of you, you can sense it, you can feel it, there's anticipation, there's growth, and there's life, and you know, you guys are, really are a city, uh, you are a city church, even though you are in the country, you are a hub, you're a place where you can find, uh, there's so many needs met right here in this house, you are in, in a way a city a place complete where God is going to minister to those that you bring in, those that you haven't even met yet and haven't met Jesus yet. They're going to meet him in this house. So 
bless you for being so obedient, on fire, full of grace, and uh, just it's it's awesome to, it's an honor, and it is awesome to join you today in worship and be here. Amen. 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 I don't know if that really helped me, honey, that you told somebody that they make better chili than me. Uh, I'm working through that. I think it's going to deeply affect what I'm going to say right now. But uh, it's just nice to be able to bring Sue along with me and uh, to join me in ministry. Uh, Sometimes we have to be away from each other. I'm going to be leaving tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. from Portland to fly to Atlanta and then to Virginia and then to New Jersey. And so this is kind of the first stop of a kind of a long ministry trip. Uh, But uh, it's great to see the church, whether it's uh, here in Idaho, one of my favorite places, and the whole northwest section of the country is my favorite place. But I, I love Idahoans and I love being near the pine trees. We don't have pine trees where we are. We have evergreen firs and spruces and cedars and, and uh, uh, Douglas firs and, uh, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of plant life underneath the trees. But uh, it's good to be here in Idaho. And uh, it's good to be here with my wife. And uh, sometimes we're away from each other. She was on a trip to California one time and, and uh, we were going to be away from each other for about 10 days. And uh, Sometimes that's not good for a wife to leave her husband for so long. And I was, uh, I was in Walgreens, and, uh, and I was hungry, and I eat a lot of protein. And uh, they had this, this beef jerky that they, they announced that it was grass-fed and totally organic, and I want to really be eating healthy and my protein, so I grabbed it and bought some other things at the drugstore there, and I went in my car and opened it up, and, and I ate the, the beef jerky, and I said, hey, well, it doesn't taste real good, but you know what? It's organic, and that's why organic things don't taste well, but, uh, and, uh, and, and it's good. It's protein, and so for about three days, I was eating about three or four sticks a day. There was a, there was a lot of it. They were kind of long, flat pieces, and and I was going to Canada with my youth pastor to do some meetings, and we're getting ready to cross the Canadian border, going through immigration. I said, we'll eat on the other side when we get into Canada. Meanwhile, I got, some, I got this beef jerky, and I've been eating, and uh, give you some protein while we're waiting. And threw in the bag, and I'm driving, I'm looking peripherally at Ben, my youth pastor, and he's, and he's not grabbing it, and he's not eating it, he's reading the package. And he said, Pastor, you know, listen to this. Your dog will love these treats. <laughs> So, so what, 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 do you, what do husbands do when their wife goes away? They eat dog food. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Christianity. Some people think they're eating the real thing, but they're really eating something inferior. Amen? I knew I was going to do something with this. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I spent the weekend here with a bunch of wonderful people from this church and sharing with you, if you, if you weren't here, uh, about the the journey to emotional health. And for those who actually didn't get to hear my testimony, I I shared my story of being a young man who actually suffered from a lot of traumatic experiences, and I don't want to get into those, that kind of left me with a slew of negative thoughts about life, about myself, uh, the way I compared myself to people. I was haunted by self-hate and haunted by real, a real overwhelming sense of inferiority. And, and there was some real natural evidences because of what I went through. I, I really lacked in a lot of just 
common skills because of the type of family I came from. And it deeply affected me. And really, my, my whole Christian life has been my journey to possess what I believe Jesus purchased for me on the cross, and that is abundant life. Come on, Jesus said, I've come to give life and life more what? Abundantly. But I find that myself for years and for many believers that I've worked with, and I'm a pastor of a local church just like here at uh, the house of the Lord. I know it's not. Jason, like, like this church, I know this is the greatest church that ever existed, but we, we pastor a pretty good church. And uh, <laughs> Jesus seems to love us a little bit, you know, not as much as you guys, but he loves us a little bit. <laughs> But I find a lot of believers do not possess or experience or walk in that level of really saying, I'm experiencing abundant life. They, they bring in chains into their relationship. They bring with Jesus, they bring in a lot of baggage from their former life and from things that they did and things that were done to them. We, we both sin and we're both the victims of sin. How many people could say, yeah, I understand what you're getting there. We, we both bring all that in, whether it's guilt and shame or lies and those types of things. And those things plagued me. But Jesus wants to give me life and he wants to give you life. And, um, you know, that life includes many things. It includes first a relationship with God. We don't want to be users of God. We want to be lovers of God. Amen. And, uh, you know, Paul said this, that I may know him. And here's a guy that wrote half the New Testament. This is a guy that laid the foundation of Christian doctrine for 2,000 years. This is a guy that actually went into the third heaven, that actually was revealed things that he couldn't even share with you and I. This is the guy that moved in signs and wonders, and that literally when he said, I, I have fully preached the gospel you know, you know, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he means I have fully evangelized the eastern region of the Roman Empire. And yet this guy says that I may know him. That was my passion. Not to be somehow be famous and known. I just want to be Brother Paul. I want to, be, I want to fulfill my office, which I'm an apostle by the will of God. But I really want to know him. And uh, to know him means that I need to know the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, I love identity teaching. I've taught a lot this week on identity teaching. I'm going to teach a little bit this morning on identity. I think it's so important. But I, I love the songs, you know, I am chosen, you know, and I am adopted, and I'm forgiven, I'm this. But they don't do the other part. I am crucified with Christ, and, uh, you know, and I am suffering with him. It's never gets, it doesn't work, make good lyrics in music. But it's part of the package also that I, my identity of that, that I might be conformed to the likeness of his death. But guess what happens after death? It's Friday, but what's coming? Sunday. Come on, I'm resurrected. And God only raises up dead people. You know, you got to come to the end of yourself. You got to come to the death of a vision sometimes to get a new vision, the death of maybe a ministry for God to bring fruit into, into that ministry, the end of yourself. So Christ can now bring his life through you. So there's a lot of death and resurrection things that we go through in the cycles of life. And, and uh, I, we, we get in our abundant life, we get in a relationship with Jesus. We're restored in our character. We're restored in our thinking and our mind and our emotions. That's what we did this weekend. How God can take you to a place 
of restoration in your mind and your emotions. And as you heard me share, it's not a magic wand. It's not a one-click, just declaration, a little prayer. You got to go to work. You got to go to work on your thinking and your belief systems and your character and your voices. And you got to move through forward in this thing. And you can be free. I'm a living testimony of that. I know what I'm talking about. And I, I say that only because I see that God's made me a pattern for others to follow. And, uh, you know, God wants to bring physical health to you. Some of you are really struggling with physical health issues, and, and that's a great burden to me. We're no good being used by God if we're just dragging along all the time. I know some of us have some real physical limitations that outside of a miracle, that's going to stay that way. But God still wants you healthy, even in those limitations. And uh, he wants us to use us fully. He wants to, to bring us abundance and relationships. My wife and I, I started dating her when she was 18 years old. She's 75 today. No, no, she's it, but, uh, <laughs> but no. We, we have known each other for 48 years. Okay, it took me four years to convince her to marry me. There's issues, okay, in me. Okay, it took her to persuade her. We've been married in June 44 years. Okay, God, wants to, God wants to do something in our relationships, and he wants to bring financial security. Come on, I, I think more money is better than less money. How about you? The Bible says that money answers everything. So, so how do you spell vision? M-O-N-E-Y. How do you spell a local church? Well, you need money to make this happen. This, does, this doesn't happen because Jesus just dropped it from heaven by some couple of strong, buff archangels. Okay, this took money and sweat and skill and fundraising. There's a lot that has to take place in the kingdom of God. I work with the underground church around the world. It takes thousands and thousands of dollars to sustain our spiritual troops on the front lines, extending the kingdom of God in some of the darkest places in the earth. Money's an important thing. And God does that by giving you money so that you can give that money to those particular causes. Okay, we're never going to help the poor without money. We're never going to show mercy without money. And so God wants to bless us. He wants, to, he wants, to, he wants our cup to flow over it. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 23, he didn't say he fills up my cup halfway. He fills my cup to overflowing. And so he gives us more than enough. You know, when they fed, the, fed everybody in, in John chapter 6, they had, they had 12 baskets left over. They fed thousands of people, and they had 12 baskets left over. When God is not a little penny pincher, he's extravagant. Come on, that's who he is. We need to be extravagant. It's not for us. It's for us to become extravagant. And I'm not saying that because there's some open Bible you're going to give me an offering today. That's, that's not where I'm at. My issue is God wants to bless us and increase us. And a result of my restoration, the result of your restoration, I started discovering the ministry that God had called me to fulfill as a son. And I am a son, just like you are sons and daughters. And as a servant of the Lord, I'm also a servant of him. Paul said, Paul, he said, a servant of of God, separated to the gospel of God. You know, it's interesting that Paul identified himself not as an apostle, but as a slave. Doulos is the word. It's what you bought off the, off the market block. You bought slaves. That's what I am. I'm the doulos of God. But in that, we will find our ministry and our purpose. I think one thing that we need to remember as believers is this, is that God restores us 
He restores us to use us to touch others and to extend his kingdom. You know, when you look at Genesis 12, 2, going all the way back to Abraham, it says in Genesis 12, 2, I'm reading out of the ESV here, and I will make you a great nation. God wants to increase you. And he says, I will bless you. God wants to put his favor on your house, your marriage, your kids, your finances, your business. I will bless you. And, and I'm actually going to make you your name great. I'm going to increase your influence. And then what will be the result of that? And you will be a blessing. He just doesn't want to bless us. He wants that blessing for us to be a blessing to other people. That's what this is all about. We need to tie our healing and our deliverance and our restoration to mission. You know, God weeps over your pain. I mean, God feels for you. One thing I've learned as a pastor, because one of my problems in my past, because I, for those of you who heard my testimony Friday night, you can say, you know, I had a few bumps as a young person. Just a few. And one of my problems when I first got into ministry was actually showing compassion to people's problems. Because they were kind of sharing with me what they've gone through. And, and I, I was lacking compassion because I was inside I was saying, what a wimp. I mean, give me something called suffering. Suck it up. I was kind of like Sergeant Rock, you know. And, I, and one thing I had to learn is that everybody's pain is significant. If you're hurting over something and that pain is loud in you, it's not an attitude thing. You're really feeling that pain. And I had to learn that the pain that someone was going through was as serious as me because it was consuming them and it was breaking them and it was, it was significant. And since, you know, God got me out of all the stuff out of my childhood, I've experienced other issues like everybody else that were very, very painful. So I learned to get a little compassion. God does weep with us. He's in the fire with us. Well, he feels us. He he cries with us. He identifies with us. I've heard the cries of the children of Israel, he, God said to Moses. I've heard their cries. I've heard their cries. And you're like, okay, God, why don't you do something? But sometimes God delays because he's creating a platform for his glory. He's setting the stage to go public. And some of you are suffering. He's setting the stage in your life to go public in your life. Your pain is going to become your platform. Your mess is going to be your message. It's really good stuff. It wasn't original with me. But God really also, beyond you, he also sees the pain of those who are caught in deception and sin and don't have faith in Christ and are living in darkness and being destroyed by Satan's schemes. And they are overwhelmed in serious pain. How many people remember that we were once them before we were us? You know, I, I tell people, how do you know revivals taking place in the church where we really got a revival going on? Well, you probably won't feel safe leaving your purse on the chair. <laughs> your building won't be as pretty. Your children's ministry won't be as sanitized. One thing we've learned in, in reaching out to the poor is poor kids can cuss real well all the time, in every environment. 
And we had a slew, we had a big revival of all sorts of single moms coming in. And, and in our county, single moms live in really, really horrible poverty. And, uh, you know, we, we, our, our children's ministry was blowing up. And so were all our kids getting educated in all the language of the streets. And, uh, you know, we have like, it was like, wow, I mean, this is, this is horrible. I mean, what's taking place? We've got all these kids coming in, these lepers coming in. And I have a friend of mine in Canada. He's an MFI pastor, and he's actually from Brazil, but he pastors in Canada in, in, in the Toronto area. And he, he started in the 90s, his church, he started almost like a street church. And he just basically, the majority of his congregation were actually homeless street people. And but God was blessing the church, and others were being added. And and uh, he outgrew his venue, and he was looking at this building near his church that was on sale at the times, like back in the nineties, for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And he hardly had, you know, he can hardly had enough to spit in the bucket. I mean, that's how much money he had, and he just needed money. And then, of course, all these homeless people—they don't, you know—they they tithe a dollar a month, but that's still ten percent of what they had. And uh, you know, it wasn't going well. One day, kind of a distinguished guy had been coming to church for two or three months. He said, Pastor, I want to meet with you. And he met with him, and, and he says, you know, we love what you're doing. I got, I'm coming. My friends are coming. We got a lot more friends that are looking to come. And I, I haven't given any money yet, but I want to give you money. And so he, he, he has a check, and he slides it to my friend. And uh, my friend, Frank, he, he looks at it, and it's a check for $25,000. So Frank went to touch it, but he, the, the, the guy keeps his fingers on the check. But he says, I want to just, I just want to just say something here. And, and, you know, I have a lot of people who come and they will come, but I think you need to make a separate service for all these street people and they will come. Well, Frank pushed the check back to him and says, you're trying to buy me. No deal. Guy, and guy left, never came back. And nice looking couples kind of went with them. Isn't it kind of interesting that the one apostle that betrayed Jesus was the good looking one? The one that seemed to have his act together. No, that didn't bring any baggage into the relationship except for covetousness. And so things went on, and, and one of the street people died, you know, in the church. And, and Frank got contacted, he got contacted by a lawyer. And say, you know, I'll call the guy Charlie. You know, Charlie passed away, and he, he made you 50% of, the, of the, his inheritance. I don't know how much inheritance can come from a street guy pushing a, golf, I mean, a grocery cart. But, you know, Frank didn't think anything about that. And then when he went to collect the check, the check that was given to him was for $250,000. Don't tell me that God is intimidated by messes. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 42, verse 22. Book of Isaiah says this. You got your smartphones, your Bibles. I don't have this on the screen. Not, this is the one verse you're, you're going to have to look up yourself here today. Here it is. This is what Isaiah said. But this is a people who are plundered and looted. In this area, in this region, there are people who are plundered and looted. There's people in your sphere of influence who are plundered and looted. The enemy has stolen from them, has destroyed them. The thief comes, Jesus says, but to kill, steal, and destroy. They are all of them trapped in holes. All of them are hidden in prisons. 
They have become plunder, and here it is, with none to rescue. With none to rescue. They're spoiled with none to say, restore. When we got to get our heart that God has touched me, he has restored my thinking, he has restored my emotions, he has brought me to a place of health, he's healed my relationship, he's even given me some more money, he's given me some health, not for me just to bask in that thing, but to use me. He's blessed me to use me, he's healed me to use me. He's restored me to use me. This thing is incomplete. I don't want on my epitaph, here lies Bob. He was hurt. Jesus healed him, and he did nothing. I have grandsons. They love playing in the dirt. They love playing in the mud. You know, we have to clean them up all the time, especially my two harder boys from my son-in-law when when he passed away, we had a death in our family that we, we kind of got really close to these two boys. But man, they're an hour on our property, and man, they're just covered in mud and dirt, and they're just a mess all the time. They're a whirlwind of destruction. You got to bathe them. And that's like a picture of you and I. You know, we're in the world, and we're just covered with the dirt of sin and deception and destruction. And, and Jesus comes, and just like we do with our boys, he puts us in a bathtub to clean us up. We've been washed with the washing of regeneration, Titus 3 tells us, right? And the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, uh, you know, we have been washed. And then what Jesus also does, he clothes us with righteousness. He says, you are now, by faith, as righteous as you'll ever be. Did you know that? You're you're, you're never going to be more righteous than you are right now in the sight of God. Because God doesn't see you partially righteous. He sees you completely righteous. So how can you improve? I'm completely righteous. He said, well, Bob, I'm not. You should have seen a, like a 20-minute video of the way I behaved this week. I get it. But he says, I've declared you righteous. You know, when Balaam was trying to curse Moab, and every time he tried to curse as a false, as a false prophet, he's, tried to, he's trying to curse the children of Israel passing through the land, and the king Balak is, come on, come on, curse them. Put a curse on them. He couldn't. And it's interesting because God had just spanked these guys because they, they, they wanted water and they, and they were complaining. And they say, take us, after all these years, take us back to Egypt. And so you know, this is where the snake pole comes up and all this weird stuff that takes place where they got judged. But when Balaam went to curse them, God gave him a blessing to speak over the children of Israel. And part of that blessing was this. I've seen Jacob and I find no iniquity in him. And that's where God sees you. He sees you with no iniquity. He sees you righteous before him. Even though we know experientially your your life doesn't match up at the moment what he says, true for me also. You are righteous. You look in the mirror tonight and you say, you righteous one. You good looking righteous one. God clothes us, but what if I put my grandson and put him in the bathtub, clean him up, put, you know, some cool van shoes on him and, you know, some cool, some cool clothes, you know, from Kids Gap or something and probably the wrong store to use as an analogy. And hey, there he is. And I'm saying, hey, one of my grandsons, his name is Wit. Wit, we're going to Disneyland. Papa, no, I'm not going to Disneyland. I'm just sitting here. I want to just join my clean skin and these new threads and 
I just want to want to stay here. Now we're going to Disneyland. I cleaned you up and I clothed you to take you someplace called Disneyland. And God has cleaned you up and clothed you with his righteousness to take you someplace called his mission and his appointment in your life. You know, this whole thing like, hey, we got 10 missionaries. No, you don't. You have 700 missionaries in this church. Those are cross-cultural global workers. You're a missionary. They're not, there's no such thing as special ops in the kingdom of God. We're all special ops. God just uses an army of ordinary people to do extraordinary things for him. So just like the kid that got out of the bathtub doesn't want to go to Disneyland, a lot of believers don't want to go on mission. God cleaned them up, healed them, restored them, made them righteous, but I don't want to really go where you want to take me. I did this so that you can do this. So let's look at the Apostle Paul. I think Apostle Paul really knew the heart of God. Could you agree with me on that? I, I think he had a little bit of a, an angle on what God was like and what God expected out of us. And he's writing Timothy. This is Paul's last letter. Paul's getting ready to get beheaded. And in the Mamertine prison, he's writing this last letter to his, to his protege, the young apostle named Timothy. Verse 6, chapter 1, 2 Timothy to 14, he says, For this reason I, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. You know, we're always crying out, God, give me power. God, give me power. God says there's power in you. Bring it out. Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So there's something that happens when hands are laid on us. By anointed people who have the mind of God, there's something imparted into us. Something was deposited into Timothy which resulted in him actually being the head pastor of the church of Ephesus, which dealt of fighting heresies that were taking place there. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We talked about going after our mind this weekend. We talked about conquering our thoughts. We talked about bringing everything in alignment to Jesus. We talked about looking at truth and looking at reality with truthful eyes and truthful perceptions. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Why would I be ashamed when God has done so much for me? Nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So I'm just going to tell you right now that if you are going to, I'm going to touch people. We're going to touch this community. We're going to see people one to Jesus. We're going to touch nations. Get ready. You're going to go into spiritual warfare. If everything's running smoothly for you, that means something is wrong. You know, in war, snipers don't go after privates. They go after leaders. The American Civil War, you know, the beginning of the, the, the whole thing on snipers, they went after the generals and the colonels. Why? You take them out, you cause chaos with the troops. You start being used by God, God's going to, the enemy is going to try and take you out. He's going to resist you. He's going to wear you down. But God said he's going to be with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's going to be our banner in battle. But it comes, the gospel comes with a fight who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Come on, he just didn't save you, he called you. Not because of our works, he didn't do this because you did a lot of good things. That's a good kid, I want to use him. God seems to use people that don't do good things. I mean, his team doesn't look real good. 
I mean, when Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, he's talking about the cross, the foolishness of the cross. The cross was repulsive in Roman culture. The, Paul, the cross was disdained by Jews. And yet God uses an instrument that's re- disdained and repulsive to save the world. And then Paul switches it to the Corinthians. And they let me talk about you. You see your calling. There's not many people of influence. There's not many people that come from a rich class or, or an influential class. There's not, not many people who are wise. <laughs> not many people that are wise. That's a lot to say about us, huh? But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The weak things of the world to confound those that are strong. Why? So that is, as it is written, let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You see, when God uses you and me, okay, and other people are not impressed with us, God gets the glory. So your weakness, your weakness is your qualifier. Remember that Gideon's army, 30,000 troops? He says, too many, too many, too many, too many, too many, too many. They will get the glory. I don't want them glory. I just want to get it down to 300 guys. I want the glory in this. And he wants the glory through you. He wants the glory through me. So he goes on to say, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, all of life, all of history is about Jesus, who abolished death. Come on, we don't fear death, do we? We go from this state into his very presence and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher. You've been appointed a preacher. I was appointed an apostle. You've been appointed something else, but you're appointed. You're appointed and a teacher. And this is why, which is why I suffer as I do. You know, why does God make this kind of difficult for us to purify our motives while we're doing it? But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, here's my premise. Healthy thinking develops in a believer when they submit to how grace is working in them and through them. You know, we talk about grace as if it is like a pound of ointment. Grace is not a thing. Grace is Jesus. Jesus got a hold of you. Jesus favored you when he didn't deserve it. And Jesus wants to do something powerful in you that's beyond you. Every one of you, myself included, there's grace moving in you. Grace is favor, but grace is a force. It's a force. It's something powerfully that burns in us. John the Baptist said about Jesus, one after me is going to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? Fuego, baby. Fire. Fire consumes. So if you have grace working in you, you're going to be burning for the gospel, burning to be used by God, burning to be his instrument, no matter what's going on in your own life. You need to receive by faith the gospel and all that the gospel declares and reflect upon it continually. 
You never outgrow the gospel. The gospel is everything. The cross is everything. And you reflect on it. There's so much wisdom. I think about the cross when I'm thinking of marriage. I think about the cross when I'm thinking about being a pastor. I think about the cross when I think about my ministry. It's the cross. It makes everything happen. It speaks to me about God's wisdom and how he brings about his plan. It's the cross. The cross. And then fulfill their mission as conscientious stewards of what has been entrusted to them. God has entrusted some things to you, not just as corporately as a church. He has. Jason was bragging what a great church this is, and I agree with him. This is a great church. But to whom much is given, much is what? Required. People really know their Bible here. Yep. Congratulations. I love Spider-Man. With much power comes much responsibility. Come on, there is. I mean, God's really anointing me. Yeah, but you're going to answer for that anointing. God really used me, but you're going to answer to how he's using you. Here's the issue. I, told my, I tell my leaders all the time, when you give a gift to somebody, what's more important, the gift or the people receiving the gift? People receiving the gift. I tell the leaders, all you are is the gift. But if you don't use your gift, you don't touch the people and bless them. And you'll answer to God for that. But all you are is a gift. That's it. Isn't it great how God's using me? Yeah, but it wasn't for you. It's for them. Paul goes, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You will never be a healthy believer experiencing abundant life if you don't first recognize that you were saved for a purpose. You kind of think that, you know, Pastor Jeff has a call, or Robbie has a call, or Joel has a call. Or, no, no, you have a call. There's a purpose. You have a gift in you. He's put something. Some of you have healing gifts. Some of you have faith gifts. Some of you have evangelism gifts. Some of you have wisdom gifts. Come on, he's, he's deposited. The Bible says he's given severally. You know, it's kind of a nice little King James thing. He's given to each one. He's distributed out a gift for the profit of the whole church by the Holy Spirit. I mean, a lot of you are not, have never tapped into your spiritual gift. You need to tap into it. And, and, it, and God's not going to move on you. You're going to cough it up. I call it out. I call it out. Spring up, oh well. I go into a lot of places, you know, and they want me to do, a, do prophetic stuff, you know, and I'm kind of like half-baked. Not that I smoke dope. I don't do that. But I've, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I feel nothing. And what happens is that people kind of perceive you wrongly. They forget that you're a clay vessel and there's an anointing that's on you, but the anointing is not you. You're just the clay vessel. So how do you, what happens? I have to bring it up to full flame. I got to act in faith. And it's there. They think, you know, I, I, I knew what happened on the way to church. I say hi to some, hey, how you doing? Oh, God, he knows what happened on the way to church. <laughs> he knows our fight. He, come on, Sally, he, he knows we got in a fight. And I ask them where the restroom is. My God, he urinates. <laughs> He's a human being. He's a human being. God puts a gift in you. You need to bring it to full flame. You know, I work with the underground church of the world. I had 35 
Iranian believers from the church in Iran, underground. Some of these guys have, were beaten so bad they couldn't walk. These were the guys that live in Daniel's den with the lions. I came out, did a five days of teaching with them. I remember they were asking me so many questions. There was one guy by the name of Mustaf, and he just kind of slammed his hand down. He says, everyone be quiet. This man only has five days to give us this information we need. Then we have to go back in. Don't stop him. That particular man planted four churches. They'll humble you. But at the end, we did communion. They were holding the emblems of the table of the Lord. I asked, one, share with me how God has used you. There was a, there was a, there was a television repairman named Bobbin. And what he did, when he went into a town to repair someone's TV, he would get a vision of some people, and he knew what was going on. And then he gets to the city, he says, God, show me the miracle. And he'd pray for somebody, a miracle would happen. And when they, everyone, all the friends started gathering at home, they're all the people he saw in his vision, and a, birth, a church was birthed. Now, Bauman would never be impressive in our culture, but he sure is a stud. God just uses common things. Come on. We think Moses was like doing a workshop on delivering nations. What'd you do, Moses? Well, I held a stick. And what'd you do? I kind of stretched over the water. Then when it kind of opens up, you just got to kind of hold it like this. <laughs> well, how'd you water the people? Well, you just kind of take the stick. You kind of whack the rock and water comes out. Don't whack it too hard. You might hurt your hand. Just, just kind of whack it. That's what God whittled Moses down to, a stick ministry. (laughs) Well, what stick do you got inside of you? It goes on, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know, we, we, we misquote this and misapply it because we don't, we don't speak this and teach this in context. What gives me a sound mind? What gives me power? What gives me love? It's the knowledge that God has called me. It's the knowledge that God has something he's put inside of me. That's what gives me bold. It's the anointing inside of me. I'm bold because he called me. I'm bold because he empowered me. And I'm bold because he loves me. He didn't call you because he hated you. I don't like you, but I'm going to use you. I love you, but you're my instrument. I'm going to use you also. And I'm putting my power in you, and you're going to go for it. And you've got to stir it up. How do, you, how do you bring it to full flame? It's a thing called faith. This is the victory, even our faith. It's your faith. Prophesy according to your faith. Paul goes on, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering. For as Paul's suffering here, he's in prison. With his, share with me the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. When I'm overwhelmed by God's love, when I'm overwhelmed how much he's done for me, how much he's done in me, how could we ever be ashamed? What he's done is so much greater than what I could do for him. You know, you one of those followers of Jesus? I am. And let me share with you all that he's done for me. Our greatest testimony is sharing the good things that the Lord has done. I was with a, I was with a, a, a pastor and his wife actually closed their church down 
in, in, in a place that they felt like they needed to shut the church down and move on to the next thing in their life. And it, it, we had this big lunch afterwards, and there was this lady that came to the service who was the pastor's wife's friend. And uh, what I did know, she was a Buddhist. And uh, the pastor's wife started asking me, Bob, what are some of the greatest miracles you've seen? And we got talking about healings. And this particular uh, pastor's wife, she was in a meeting. She had serious kidney issues, both kidneys. And uh, she, oh, for her whole life, constantly going to the doctor. And someone says, God, like, God's going to give somebody a new kidney. And, and uh, you know, and she started feeling better. And she went to the doctor um, for a kind of a standard checkup. And they, I forget what kind of, what, process they did to take pictures and images of her kidneys but the doctor came in and says you got a you got a third kidney she goes i do not you have a third kidney it's a beautiful it's a nice one it's right on top of the other one she goes i've had i've had screens my whole life i only have two kidneys no you have a third kidney right there so what happened to the buddhist lady the buddhist lady had after lunch spent the whole afternoon in a restaurant with her asking questions about miracles and everything else come on how many people know that God wants to go public? And when he saved us and he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus for the, for the, before the ages began. He didn't just save me. He called me to a holy calling. Now we think of holiness as somebody wears burlap sack and looks like a librarian from Nebraska. Now, if you've been a librarian in Nebraska, I'm sure they got some good-looking ones. But uh, we have this image of monks and people living aesthetic lifestyles and denying themselves and being weird and being abnormal and I can't eat I can't eat meat anymore. Oh, that'd be horrible. And I can't eat this and I can't do this and I can't touch this and I can't handle this and thou shall not and thou shall not thou shall not. No, holiness means you are selected. That you, I have selected you for something. Now, with what you've been selected for, there comes limitations. We all know that the person standing on the podium at the Olympics that got a gold medal, they just didn't sit around and eat donuts at Krispy Kreme. That they paid a price their whole life. Because they were selected, others may, they may not. That they separate themselves to the purpose of God. Hand me my, could you hand me my emblem, sweetheart? Thank you. This is a great object. It's a toothbrush. <laughs> this particular toothbrush, Robbie gave me at their house because I forgot to pack my toothbrush. And it's really helped my teeth in the last two days. Thank you so much. Now, you can use a toothbrush for a lot of things. You can clean battery cables in your, in your car with a toothbrush. You can grout between tiles. You can scrape that, you know, do that. Or you can brush your teeth. This particular toothbrush has been selected not to clean battery cables or to clean grout between tiles, but it's selected for my teeth. Nothing else. And because of that, there's limitations. You may not go near car batteries. You... <laughs> You may not go near places where my dog poops. You're, you got one purpose, and that's, that's my teeth. And folks, that's, that's holiness. You're separated to what he's called you to do. 
Was there sacrifice? Yeah, there is, but it's when you're consumed with what God wants to do, it's really not a sacrifice. It's really not a sacrifice. You know, Paul didn't separate his calling from his relationship with Jesus. Somehow in his apostolic thing, that's where I, he came to know Jesus. He said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He says, the necessity has been put on me. God saved you by grace, but that grace has a purpose. There's something that God wants to do through you. You know, I was sharing with the first service, my favorite, one of my favorite stories is Le Mezerab. And of course, the story of this guy who stole some bread and he got punished and went to jail for, I think, like 10 years. And he just suffered abuse in this jail. He became strong from all the work. And just the, he learned to hate people, uh, you know, because of all the abuse he took because he told one loaf of bread because he was hungry. He comes out, they give him parole, and a priest takes him into his parish to feed him, and no one else will take him in because he's got like a tag saying, I'm a prisoner. No one, he's like a leper. No one wants to be near him. And of course, the priest feeds him, but he sees all this silver and chalices and everything else that can turn into money. And so what he does is he steals all the silver in the sanctuary and actually hits the priest and kind of knocks him out, and he runs away. They capture him. They bring him back to the priest. The police capture him, bring him back to the, the bishop, the priest. And, and when he gets back, the priest looks at him and has pity upon this poor creature that's just been so abused in his whole life. And what he does, instead of you know taking the stuff back, he says, Jean Valjean, that's the kind of the main character in the story. Jean Valjean, you took the bowls and the chalices and this, but you forgot the candlesticks. He takes his silver candlesticks and he loads it on the stuff. And of course, the police constable says, you know, this man didn't steal it from you. No, I gave these things to my brother Jean. Of course, Jean Valjean is overwhelmed. No one has ever acted with kindness towards him in his life. Isn't it beautiful in all our pain and anger, sin and rebellion, that Jesus comes to us with kindness? And in his shock, stunned, looking at this, this priest, the priest says these words, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Now go do something with your life. And he becomes this great, benevolent, loving man because God showed him grace. But God overwhelms us with grace to use us, not for us just to bask in it, but to take it and to begin to share it with others. Paul goes on to say, this plan that God has, this purpose, has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. God's had a plan from the very beginning. Jesus isn't a salvage plan. Jesus is not plan B. Jesus is the whole reason we exist. And God planned to enter the human race at a particular time through Jesus Christ so that he could rescue the human race. He's always had that. So that race can be ready to reunite with God forever in our, in our brand new Garden of Eden. Come on, God, heaven comes down to earth and we live eternally. And that has been his plan from the very, very beginning. But guess who gets to communicate that plan? 
You do. I do. As we use the gifts that God has put in our life. And he goes, who abolished? Verse 10, who abolished death? Come on, Jesus abolished death. Yes, it hurts when our loved ones die. But if they have faith in Christ, they're just going from this sphere into the very presence of God. And one thing that we all have in common is we all have the same end here. We're all going to face the reality of death. But death has lost its sting. Paul says, oh, grave, where is your victory? It's not. There's no victory in death. He's tasted death for us so we don't have to taste death. Oh, really, can it be that good? Yeah, it can be that good. You know, when I have people who maybe their heart stopped for a long time, and they got resuscitated by paramedics and stuff, I'm always asking, what did you see? What did you see? And I, there's, I know one person who actually left their body and actually saw them working on their body. Come on, there's something more than just what we see in this material world. Now, I, I've received a lot of prophecies recently that I got 20 years of ministry in me. And I believe that. I believe I gotta, I'm putting a plan together. I'm 67 years old, and I, I, put a, I put kind of in my mind a 20-year track. And people say, are you retired now? I'm not retired. You don't re- just say, God, I'm done. Thank you for blessing Sue and I. We're going to take a lot of trips to Hawaii, you know, go to Palm Springs, you know, enjoy some things, sit by the cabin, just fish. And there's, we, have a, we have a job to fulfill. We got a church to build. We got nations to reach. We got people to save. We got people to get restored. Bob, what drives you? I'll tell you what drives me the grace of God. I'm overwhelmed what He's done for me. And that has to be communicated to others so they can experience the same thing. You know, Paul goes on for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle. Paul understood his appointment. We got to understand our appointment. We all have one. And that appointment has to do with people. It may be across the street, and it may be around the world, and it may be both. But God has an appointment for you. Not just one, many. It's a whole lifestyle appointment. And Paul goes on to say, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. You know, we don't just believe a bunch of facts and formulas and creeds. We believe in a person. It's a person whom we believe. Whom? Not what I believe, but whom I believe. Remember David going before, maybe going for Goliath, and he said, listen, King Saul, man, I, a bear took one of my sheep, and I took the lamb right out of the bear's mouth, the bear's paw, and the lion took it. I took it right out of the lion's mouth. You know, the God that delivered me from the bear and the lion is going to deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. What was his faith in? His faith was in the faithfulness of a person called God. I know whom I have believed. Come on, we need to believe God has something for us. God's put a deposit in us. God's restoring us. God wants to use us. God wants to extend the mission of my life. We need to believe that, that God is working mightily. I am convinced, he says, he's able to guard until that day that has been entrusted to me. God guards your ministry. God guards all that you do. You say, I shared with that person. They told me to eat my Bible. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, you find out that they got saved and they're trying to track you down, that I really did get saved. 
God guarded what you did. God's guarding everything that you've done in ministry. He's going to keep those things. Come on, I'm confident because I'm confident in God. Amen? Paul committed something to God. He says, I committed it to him. God's watching over it. Then he finishes by saying, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Worship team can come on up here right now, please. You heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You have a lot of mentors, a lot of them in the Bible. Abraham's a mentor. Joseph's a mentor. David's a mentor. Peter's a mentor. Paul's a mentor. Their life, their pattern, their faith, they mentor us on how we're to live. Someone said, well, no, you can't pattern your life after Paul. Really? Paul didn't say that. He said, imitate my ways in Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. God's deposited gifts in you, anointing in you. You may not realize it because you've never unleashed it. If you're going to be healthy, you've got to bring it to full flame. We, we can't be observers of the kingdom of God. We've got, to be, we've got to be servers in the kingdom of God. We can't just visit the kingdom of God on vacation. We've got to live in the kingdom of God. Well, he, he, he bought your soul because he loves you. And now he wants to use you. Let's stand to our feet. Sweetie, why don't you come on up here? Thank you, Lord. Before we do anything here, like just every eye open, everyone looking around. Let's do this. You might be here today visiting and and uh, or you've been coming. You're like someone who's been testing the waters of a swimming pool. You're kind of a you kind of got your toes in it. Maybe you kind of went on the steps, you got your ankles in this thing, but you just haven't jumped in quite all the way. I, I know that feeling. I was that way for about six months. I just, I was seeking God and I was reading the gospels and I had faith in Christ and I had my feet, my toes in the water. It's like jumping in a mountain lake. You know, you just got to take that deep breath and you just got to go to that polar freeze, you know, and you just got to jump in that. I have actually jumped into the pond array in March before, so I, I know what that's like. You just got to jump in. And that means committing your life to Jesus. That means that you say, you know what? I believe that Jesus Christ is God himself in flesh. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took the punishment upon himself for what I've done. And that he rose again from the dead, demonstrating he was not just a normal human being. He was the son of God. And he went to heaven and he's here by his spirit. And I want him to change me by his spirit and I want to follow him that's what this is all about and if that's you if, you know if we can't just do it here you're never going to be able to live it out there so we're going to make it easy and you're a family here all you're going to be is a hero if you raise your hand if you say Bob pray for me just raise your hand up you say that's me today thank you sir back there anybody else God bless you over here God bless you over here thank you over here thank you over here thank you so much Come on, it's salvation day, salvation day. Let's say a prayer together right here. Everyone say it with me. Father in heaven, today I confess that your son, Jesus Christ, died for me on the cross. 
Lord Jesus, I pray you come into my life. Do you wash me from my sin? Because you died for me. And you rose again from the dead. And I know that you're here. And I commit to following you the rest of my life. Send me on that mission. Use me as your instrument. Heal me of all my wounds. I want your abundant life. In Jesus' name.